wonderful to have my mates on the podcast. Grace Timothy, author, beauty journalist, mum, extraordinary human, and my other buddy, Anita Bagwandas. Did I say that wrong already? How do you say it? I mean, yeah, it, that is that is basically it. It's Anita Bagwandas. Bagwandas. Okay, thank you. Um, and I'm sorry to do that to you because I, whenever people are going to me... Guna Wardner, I'm always like, just move on. So apologies, Anita, if that listened to the same response. But you are also fellow beauty journalist, writer extraordinaire. Uh, you, we kind of were in the industry together, like, for ages, right? Mm, definitely, yeah. Like, at launches, seeing each other all the time. Like, when did you, when, Grace, when did you start in the beauty industry? Uh, uh, I think, so, about 15 years ago, I was in fashion, uh, and then segued into beauty um, when I realised I didn't know anything about fashion and I wasn't <laughs> with the industry as a whole. Um, and uh, I was really lucky to get a job at Glamour as I left a fashion job at Vogue. So, um, yeah, it's been about, I know, rah, rah, rah. drop that one, drop that one. About, I mean, that was about sort of two and, two and a half, three years later. So, yeah, it's been a long time. Yeah, I was just walking out of Vogue House one day and I accidentally yeah. stumbled into Glamour. Oh my gosh. It was crazy. Um, but actually, um, I haven't done any beauty journalism. I haven't co- sort of contributed anything since last June. So before lockdown, I was already on a semi-lockdown uh, in terms of journalistic output because um, I've just been working on other stuff. So I almost feel like a bit of a fraud. But uh, yeah, it's there dormant. We'll go with it. Yeah. And Anita, you and I have known each other for a million years, although it's probably around the same, what, 15, 16? Uh, well, I've been in beauty 10 years. Um, oh, it was only 10? Yeah. And before that, I was a features journalist. So, um, yeah, I sort of moved over. But, yeah, I think it's probably been about 10 years. Yeah. Well, it's safe to say you are both my buddies. Grace, you've been on this podcast before. Anita, this is your first time, so welcome. I hope you have a great experience. But the reason I wanted to get you onto the podcast is because there's been a lot of discussion. There's been a huge dialogue in the last few weeks uh, since the BLM movement really gathered pace, Black Lives Matter movement gathered pace. And there's been a real conversation within the beauty industry about inclusivity, diversity and For me, what's really struck out is opportunity. And what you guys have put together, I think, is fantastic because it started with Grace. You started an inclusivity rider a little while ago. And then in the last couple of weeks, you and Anita have been working together to create a directory. So I would just like for the benefit of listeners who may be maybe not in the beauty industry, but maybe thinking about how they can contribute or make a difference in whatever industry they are in, that actually there are things that you can do. And I guess the best starting point, Grace, is for you to tell the story about how you came up with the idea of the the inclusion rider. Sure. Um, Well, so it was actually Frances McDormand had won her Oscar and in her speech just said inclusion rider and then look it up. And I think everyone in the audience was kind of going, huh? Um, and I did look it up and essentially it's something that you would add to your contract that says, you know, if I'm going to work with you, then you need to make every effort to employ um, people from underrepresented groups all the way through, you know, your creative processes. So whether that's catering, makeup artists, production staff, co-stars, it needs to go through every single layer. And that's supposed to not in, sort of encouraging um, tokenism, but encourage an open pipeline and an open set of opportunities for more people. Um, and I was just like, that is 
like glaringly a problem in beauty and we've known this for a long time um as a white woman i was tackling it by trying to write articles um about black beauty so you know uh, natural hair textures and that kind of thing and i have a um a great insight via my sister who's black but otherwise you know in time i realize it's absolutely not my job to write about black beauty that was you know that was definitely a mistake um what my job should be is to open up opportunities and commission black writers to write about their area of expertise so uh, it was like a learning process i was just like if i can't keep contributing in the way i am which i think is inappropriate then i need to find a new way to open up opportunities for more people um and because i was doing a little bit more with instagram by then in terms of campaigns and stuff i mean a very little but still um and was this because just uh, when you last came when we talked about your book mum face was this yeah. around the time that you were promoting your best selling book that month? <laughs> definitely not best selling but yes uh, yeah 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 it was so off the back of uh, my book uh, and then lost in motherhood which is the new version of the otherwise would have been best selling novel um basically I was just getting a few more offers to do whether it was beauty or just sort of lifestyle um related content um and and also just events and stuff like that you know every time you go on a panel you look around you and it's not just the panel itself it's the audience you know it's just everybody looks exactly like me so um I I was just grappling with how to how to make that um different and I think because I grew up with um a diverse mix of siblings and you know a kind of diverse friendship group and things um at certain stages of my life I should say there are certain stages where it was absolutely not like that um I was in a bubble of not realizing that actually once I got into my career I was like what is going on here like this is insane and this is an unnatural way of being um and then more recently uh I basically I interviewed this young lady for a feature that I did um a couple of years ago now and I kept up with her and she was a student and she when she uh, had finished her degree her plan was to become a journalist so we stayed in touch and she uh has really struggled to sorry she's a black woman she has really struggled to get work experience when she's been on placement she's found it very difficult and there's been some quite uncomfortable experiences for her through that um and so i've also been trying to think how do we open up the pipeline as at a really early stage um because as anita will tell you it is all you you know who you know after a certain point is what gets you your next opportunity and if there's no door in then you know how do, how does anyone have a hope in hell of getting you know any further uh, and then i spoke to anita and boom oh i should can i also say that the inclusion rider and the document that accompanies it which is a list of kind of best practice uh, tips was not me sitting on my own writing a list like i am a middle class white woman um and i'm dripping in white privilege it was actually a committee of other women uh, from different um backgrounds and ethnicities who helped me sort of phrase it and raise the points that were most important to consider so it's not just me kind of going this would be a perfect world it's it's a whole group of people and how how old is the inclusion rider and when did you start did you start sending it out with your when you were asked to write or appear on a panel or what have you yeah i you know i think it's probably been about 18 months now and and to begin with it was before i was sending it out i was sending it to people that i hoped would help me with it which again now i realize i've you know put quite a lot of emotional labor at the door of people who are just kind of overwhelmed with all that right now but thankfully everyone was incredibly gracious and i think it's now a more valuable document for the fact that all those people have advised on it but yeah it's been going it's probably about 18 months i'd say yeah and what would you say 
has been the reaction ultimately to a white middle class woman sending out an inclusion rider to I'm guessing predominantly white employees employee employers sorry yeah. uh, and businesses um has it been taken seriously I mean I don't know what anyone is saying beyond email because I'm only getting the kind of <laughs> the email responses to it most of the time what vibe are you getting grace <laughs> I am getting, um, so the vibe has been good the vibe has been quite considered I'd say I I think that most of the emails that come back are quite um I, I think it puts people on edge a little bit sometimes and I think that's a really good thing because I think that that means that you haven't considered it in the first place and you feel uncomfortable that's good um I have to say to name drop Superdrug were one of the brands that I worked with and I didn't even need to send it to them I knew how they were approaching people yeah. and doing that they've been doing brilliantly well um and they were like yeah of course like sure no worries kind of thing and I and it was just it was an amazing thing because it was like yeah of course you know already of course you're doing this um but yeah, other brands have struggled. I get a lot of, okay, fine, but who would you suggest that we approach then? Or I get, um, well, yeah, sure, that's fine, but we have approached other people and they've said no. So then I would go back and say, do you, why have they said no? Do you know, have you kind of considered how, you know, your setup is? Is it is it appropriate? Is it comfortable? Is it welcoming? And is it inclusive? Um, but I have to say there was one event I did where, it all worked perfectly and, and um, the panel was diverse and it was it was really good. It was going really well. And then someone uh, within the panel afterwards said, this is great, but did you look at the audience? And it was, you know, it was 200 white women. And mm. then we've got to look at why. Why are these things not appealing and why are they not inclusive as a product as well? Um, so it's going to take a long time. And, um, and I'm not kind of... Um, what's the word, sort of overly unrealistic about it. I know it's it's not perfect and it is going to encourage box ticking to an extent, but I think it's a step hopefully towards something. It's Even if it grows into something else and someone takes it over and does something amazing with it, whatever happens, I feel like we have to do something. Hmm. And so let's, Anita, let's talk about your story because as you said, you were a feature writer before, then 10 years ago you segued into beauty where you are oh, incredible you know how I feel about your writing and about your point of view have you felt uh, what's I mean first of all uh what is your background what is your ethnicity and do you feel that that has ever played a part in your ability to move forward or not move forward in this industry um yes so my background and ethnicity I am South Indian um, I'm also Welsh, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so it's, um, I, I think it definitely has played a part. Um, so interesting, I, I, when I got my first beauty job at Stylist Magazine about six months after it launched, um, at this point I'd interviewed for about 15 different jobs for like beauty, various beauty assistants. Sometimes I would go in and they would like barely look at my CV. I felt like they were sort of box ticking a bit and they needed to just get like one brown person in to sort of be like, okay, we've, you know, we've been diverse. Um, but um, yeah, and I, I was getting really upset about it because I was like, gosh, is it me? Is it me? What am I doing wrong? But, you know, when I, when I sort of realized that actually I had exactly the same, if not much better qualifications than the other people getting these jobs, it's just like god something else is going on here but it's it's hard because you can never prove that for a start which is one of the biggest issues with um with this sort of discrimination you can never prove it um and if you do say something people just think you're um 
it's, you know, sour grapes or that you are being overly sensitive. And I guess you're sort of gaslighted into thinking that, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it's your fault. But, um, yeah, so basically I, yeah, I got my first job at Stylist and, um, everything sort of took off from there, but I was really lucky in that, um, they, they really saw me and, um, were the only people willing to chat, willing to take a chance on me really. And so, as we say, since then, you've gone on to do great things. You've, you've written for, I mean, you've written for everyone pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I've worked on lots of the big glossy fashion magazine, which, which is, you know, quite something in itself, because most of them are all white. Um, and yeah, moving through the industry has has been trickier. It's been, it has been harder for me. Again, it, I'd be hard pressed to sort of um, prove that because you can't mm. prove these things. But I know because I know when somebody else has been hired for that job that I've gotten down to the final two for, I know, I know that my skills are, you know, maybe even better. I know that's a, it's a weird thing to say, but like, you know, I'm, I know that I in theory should have been able to get that job, but there is another factor at play. And it's, you know, it's taken me a long time to kind of come to that place. Cause I always just, just used to blame myself. And I will always had this sort of feeling of being allowed to be in the industry and, you know, just even being in it was, that was a sort of, you know, I'd been let into this sort of white woman's club. And that's how I kind of all felt throughout most of my career until I went freelance actually sort of a, a year and a half or so ago and actually stepped back and went, well, it just sort of, it gave me the chance to look at everything and sort of just see how I'd been treated and sort of really assess what had been going on and actually give me a bit of space to realise what had been, been, been happening basically. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but obviously you and I had a really long phone call uh, last week and you did say... You look back now and wonder if there are times when you should have spoken up. Yes, there were times when I was treated poorly and, you know, lots of people would have done something wrong, but I would get the blame for it. Or, um, you know, I was quite often sort of scapegoated. There was one job in particular where a member of, you know, the team just seemed to really hone in on me in sort of quite a bullying manner. And I was just, at the time, I was kind of like, I was I felt like I felt like I was just trying to cling on to my job because I was still in this mindset of being lucky to get into this world to be allowed into this world and I just clung on to my job and I didn't tell anyone and I feel like I've spent my whole career doing that actually and so to be able to step back and look at it now is actually quite I don't know it's quite I sort of feel quite sad for myself if I'm honest I sort of feel quite sad for sort of like baby Anita trying to be a beauty editor and you know I, I feel sad that I couldn't speak up this is why I think that what you guys have done together is actually really wonderful and I really appreciate it because actually what you said is, and obviously I don't know the full story, but at some point you two have spoken and you've said, right, well, this is about opportunity. This is about making sure that it's a level playing field and therefore we're going to create this directory that represents underrepresented people within the beauty and within the media and we're going to make sure that they are all seen and that they can all be found easily. So there's no excuse for a photo shoot to happen and for an editor to say, well, it's an entirely white middle class team because those are the only people that we know. So tell me a little bit about the conversation that happened, which I'm guessing is quite recent and how it then turned into this new directory. Oh, so I think... It happened very organically, but um, I had just had a break off Instagram um, during the whole sort of week that, you know, the Black Lives Matter matters sort of, you know, protesting up to, up to, 
uh, it's not, you know, it's obviously always been here, but it's only now that people are, are listening. Um, some people are listening. Um, and then when I came back, I thought, do you know what? I could put a post up here that is like, I'm going to do more or, you know, here's, you know, I, I'm, you know, I could, I can make it all about myself or actually, do you know what? I can make this about other people and how I'm going to help the next generation and, um, help all those people who've been trying to break into an industry like I was, I'm going to help try and elevate them. So that was where I was coming from. And I just put a post up on Instagram and I was like, here are some amazing, um, you know, women of color who can help you with your photo shoots or, you know, you can commission or you can, if you need a hairstylist for something, then here they are. So I did a bit of a list and then I asked people to just tag themselves underneath that post. And I didn't really know what to expect or anything. I sort of just left it. And then, um, people were tagging other people, people were tagging friends and there seemed to be a huge amount of resonance around it. And then I think we spoke Grace, didn't we? Cause I, I already knew what Grace was doing with the inclusivity rider and thought that was awesome. And then we, yeah, we sort of had a bit of a conversation about it, didn't we? Well, I just jumped on you because I was like, <laughs> yes, because I've been looking for somewhere to help, like, these women that basically, you know, I'm sure Anita is the same. You get a lot of young people pass your way via your parents or your family who want to be in journalism. And, you know, down here, there's a lot of middle-class white girls who want me to get them internships and things. And, you know, fine, and I've been doing that for years. And it wasn't until, you know, I spoke to this one young woman who's struggling to get in there, this black lady, that uh, I was like, yeah, I, I'm, for some reason, it's not happening this time. It's not working at all. And I don't understand why. And anyway, so I was thinking we, we need to find a way of there being these, these young people who can register their interest. And so instead of the internships going to me and my friend, you know, that I've known since I was six or whatever, it should be going to people who deserve it. And it should be open. It shouldn't be, who you know, not what you know kind of thing. Um, and so I jumped on Anita and was like, uh, can I put my inclusion rider with your directory, please? So it was definitely, uh, it was just simmering away. And I hadn't thought at all about a directory or anything. Anita had this brilliant idea. And I was like, well, can I, can I also add this to it? Because I think Inclusion Rider, you know, a lot of people haven't really wanted to use it and it hasn't necessarily got a lot of um, airtime. So it was, it was a kind of an opportunity to combine these two tools, I thought. I also think as well with the Inclusion Rider, um, it can be really hard in this industry and it can be very competitive. So if a brand comes to you and says, we want you to host a panel or we want you to be involved in X, Y or Z, it can be so hard to get your foot in that door that to then say, oh, I'd love that, but here's something that might actually make you not work with me. I think that can be really scary to people. And I'm admitting that as somebody who would probably think probably think that. I think it, I think you have to go in knowing that they'll, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that they'll say, no, thank you then. Um, I mean, I... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I've, I've worked very little this year. Um, and that's that. Do you know what I mean? It, it's 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 the case. I've also worked with some brands that I feel completely happy to endorse and work with because they took to it and understood it and embraced it. 
So, I mean, to me, yeah, I'm, 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 you know, the coffers are not full, but I feel better about what I'm doing. And I think, do you know what? It's really difficult for me to talk about it because you don't want to be, I don't want to center this around my, me and my experience. I just mm-hmm. want the inclusion. It is relevant though, Grace. Yeah, I think I think don't minimize it. Don't minimize it, please. Well, it is. It's important for other white people who do want to use it to understand that it yeah. will it will impact your employment for sure. Um, but if we keep using it um, and keep using it, then eventually it won't because everybody will be used to that being a standard practice in you know their contractual agreements. Hopefully, that's actually. Can I just jump in? That is actually quite an interesting point because it can be. Um, it, you know, it is hard enough for women of colour to get a foot in the door, but then, you know, to turn around and be like, can you make sure all these other people are in it can be really tricky. So it is really crucial that white women who, you know, have the biggest voices, particularly in our industry, in the beauty industry, are really stepping up to the plate and that brands aren't, you know, not hiring people because, you know, they want, because the people they're approaching want a better world. You know, that's an admirable bit thing. Those are the kinds of people you should be approaching those you know people with morals and people with integrity are the, integrity are the people that brands should be approaching so I'm hoping that this sort of sea of change is going to help brands actually see that and you know help help those decision makers actually encourage people so what what feedback and what interest have you had so far like what's been since you put the directory post up on Instagram what what's been coming at you um well, just lots of people wanting to get involved. Um, so I think there sometimes might be a bit of confusion about who it's for, but it's literally for anyone who um, who wants to be a part of it. You know, we are not betting things or anything like that. It is not edited. We're also not, um, you know, we're not sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, screening or interviewing or? Yeah, none of that. You know, we're not screening people or anything like that. So, you know, if you are an employer looking to hire a freelancer and you use our list, you do need to go through all the, your usual checkpoints but it is just a resource because it is that it's that classic thing Emma what you just you know what you said a few minutes ago when people say oh but there weren't there weren't any people and you know you do look at the agency books you do look at the you know the I don't know the hairstylist agencies or you know the makeup artist agencies and there aren't that many people of color on them but we know Mm. they're out there they're just not getting the recognition or enough of the celebrity clients or you know whoever it is to get on those big books but actually here is the list we have done the work for you there are no more excuses. And I think that's the sort of reason, reasoning behind it. And I also think as well, it's what you've both said is about opportunity. So I've obviously, I think a lot of people have gone away and thought about how they can contribute to this in a positive way, realising that maybe they've been unwittingly contributing towards a bad situation. And for me, it comes back to, I had John McAvoy on the podcast recently And he's nothing to do with the beauty industry, but he was talking about basically you only know what you see. And if there are minorities who don't see a clear path to being in the media, which let's face it is represented as being a really cool thing to do and a really cool job to have on TV all the live long day, then it's about, well, can I turn my focus on young kids who maybe need to see what someone who works in the media looks like? and maybe offer mentoring because I feel personally, I don't know if Anita, if you feel like this, um, I'm brown skinned, but I'm light brown skinned. And so I, I feel like I've already had lots of opportunities and I've already done pretty okay. Like I don't feel that I have anything to really complain about. 
So what I should be doing is looking around at the people who are behind me and helping them and showing them the way. And I don't know, is that kind of what the director was born out of? Um, yes, yeah, definitely. I think it is, it's just about elevating anyone that we can. Um, and that's something I'm really big on. And, you know, I, I do think we need to try and lift up that next generation. So, you know, within our sort of generation of beauty editors, you know, there are, it is, it is quite sort of, I don't quite know how to phrase this, but very, very white privilege. Um, and, you know, Grace is nodding listeners. Grace is like, <laughs> um, and it'd be really nice to just set things, well, get, get things changing basically for the next, the next few generations and to make it, you know, inclusive. And also the directory, who does it cover? Let's just be really clear about this because it isn't just about brown and black skins, is it? It's not, no. Grace is actually slightly more eloquent on explaining <laughs> this than I am. No, well, just uh, so with the inclusion rider, um, from my experience base and, and the people that I was working with, it was definitely about black women. Um, and um, I felt really stupid when I... Um, kind of realised that obviously there were so many other groups that were being entirely under underrepresented within our industry. Um, and the inclusion rider that I found online that I then adapted, which was just, it's an American law firm who have created it for the studio industry. Um, and it, it included um, LGBTQ communities and um, anyone with disabilities. Um, and I, when I sort of started to investigate that, I also diversified my Instagram feed and, um, you know, just to try and find the communities that were out there that were trying to work, not necessarily in beauty, but in media. Um, and, you know, I mean, for, dis for people with disabilities, it's um, a huge issue with access even. Something so simple that you've held your beauty launch in a place that's up three flights of stairs or, you know, there aren't enough toilets around or it's just such inhumane and ridiculous small things that can completely screw with someone's career essentially um and opportunity so um so i investigated it really from that point forward um and i think it's really difficult because obviously particularly with disability these things aren't always visual um you can't always you know immediately um understand and 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 know what they are um and so i think it's we all just need to be better educated and I hope that this that the inclusion rider in particular will be the first step for brands to think I don't even know like who I'm helping or who I'm trying to help here who who is out there what do I need to know um and I think that's the thing is looking beyond your able-bodied cisgendered woman who walks in and is very straightforward takes a glass of champagne writes about your product la-di-da like how lovely you know it shouldn't be about that anymore and it's you know it's boring so yeah, I think in terms of all the different groups, it's really, 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 really difficult to know even when to when to start and when to stop. At the moment, we hope that these groups will be um, helpful and will grow a different community of um, beauty writers and artists and all that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, we, we're still learning, I think, constantly. I mean, I th again, I think, Anita, you know way more about this than I do, but I feel like we're both, you know, I check in with Anita a lot, and apologies for that, but just being like, wait, what about this? And you know, it's it's not like there's anyone who's just given us a guidebook and been like, right, this is this is how you are going to help. This is how your tiny corner is going to contribute in some way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm also very ready that I'm going to screw it up and some people are going to be offended and it's going to hurt some people. And, and, you know, I just need to hopefully respond to that as um, sensitively and tactfully and carefully as possible and learn and grow from it. But, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is going to receive criticism at some point, I'm sure. 
I think the threshold for criticisms actually increased in a positive way in the sense of it's okay, it's permissible at the moment to make mistakes if you're trying to move in the right direction. I think course correction is actually, it's not, there, there's not going to be a cancel culture around it, you know? It's like, oh, I, I screwed up. I see now why that was wrong. I'm going to move in this direction. I feel like it's mistake, mistake making is actually almost understood to be a part of the process. Yeah, definitely. I think as well, um, it feels like the industry is a little bit more receptive to feedback now because I, for quite a while now, have not been coming to launches that feature all white panels, which is something that happens a lot in our industry. You know, you turn up to an expert panel um, and it's just like five white people. And I just don't think that's acceptable. And I have, I've like, and I've refused to come to launches for that reason. I've said, you know, this is why I'm not coming, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of feel like people have been a bit like, hmm, you know, they haven't really acknowledged it really, or they've just probably taken me off their list. And, you know, that's fine. But it does feel now that people are starting to actually take that feedback and do something positive with it, which is good. Yeah, I was involved in an event last year, and I remember them saying to me at some point, you know, we've really considered the optics of this. And it, I sort of like left the room and thought, oh, that's what they meant. Not those drinking things. Yeah. yeah, and I thought, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? That they're like, I don't know. Well, the optics makes it sound like it's just a visual thing, and it's not. It's about yeah. your background, and it's about the different experience you bring to things. You know, my experience of beauty is completely different to yours and to Grace's. It's like we've all we all come at things with different experiences, but we need to know about those exper- other people's experiences of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not just about you know the color. It's it's about diff- people's different journeys. And you mentioned, actually, that the Inclusion Rider was born of Frances McDormand's uh, Oscar acceptance speech. Now, Frances McDormand is 63, which brings me on to age and being older in the media and in the beauty industry and how, I mean, I can think of people who, when I started in this industry, were in their late 50s, early 60s, and it almost became a little bit of a joke of every time there was a redundancy, we're like, well, they're going to get offered it. A little sort of people it has felt like age age does phase people out of this industry in a way that just would be illegal in other businesses for example illegal or you know HR would definitely be rattled if it was done in the same way and what, so what about age inclusivity and um, I think well in terms of the inclusion rider um uh, Nadine actually got in touch with me about this because I said oh, that surprises me yeah bless her I sent her the rider and was like what do you think and she was like yeah um you know, you need to think more in depth about different body shapes, which we had touched on, but I, I yeah, we'd, we'd touched on it basically and maybe need to go more in depth with it. Um, and she was like, what about the age? And I was like, yeah, it's really, 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 really difficult. Um, and so we've got we've got a sort of thing that is within our best practice uh, tips, which is about, um, you know, if you're an editor, have you considered all of the following groups when you're writing a feature or when you're looking at interviews? And that does include, you know, visibility of people over the age of 40. But also you've got to think of that as within every group that we've already mentioned. So people with disabilities who are over 40, you know, mm. people of colour who are over 40. And I think there's so many nuances. Um, one of the LGBTQ um, uh, consultants that I worked with was saying it's all very well, you know, having all these amazing features on um same-sex couples for example in parenting but that's always the focus is their sexuality why can't we just 
feature people who happen to be married to people of the same sex or in same sex relationships. And that's not the focus. The focus is mm. on achievement or, you know, whatever. So I think age comes into that thing of the nuances of each issue and each group. Um, and I think also if you think of, um, uh, you know, white women over the age of 40 have much greater visibility than any of the other groups that are over 40, to be honest. So I think it's all part and parcel of the same thing. I would say, to be honest, I think 40, 40 doesn't really cover it for me because I think, I'm thinking about retirement age and I think, I'm thinking of what, what happens when you're over 50, when you're 55 plus, what if you want to work until you're 65? Will you get booked if you're a 62 year old makeup artist? Will you get booked to do a shoot? Or will it be, you know, the younger? The next young thing, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That, sorry, go on. I, I just feel like that sucks because if you look at some of the big, big photographers like uh, Testino, uh, Patrick, uh, like all of like you just that they they don't retire out. They still get all the big gigs. Annie Leibovitz. Patrick gets like a little nap, doesn't he? Midway through, <laughs> I heard. Um, I think that it's um, it's. It seems to me from the outside that it's that it's an easier moving leg of the movement, if you know what I mean. So, you know, we're very happy to put Judy Dench on the cover of a magazine. Um, we know that icons of our industry don't necessarily stop working after a certain age. Um, I think I think it is difficult, but I think it has to be part of the inclusivity rider as a bigger issue. Mm. And I think to you know at the moment we seem to be seeing a lot of um women over the age of 40 and again I'm sorry but they are white predominantly um and I think that that seems to have, have gathered pace more quickly than the representation of any other group maybe I maybe I'm just completely wrong and I'm seeing it more than I'm seeing the other things where, but, um, where are you talking about you're seeing it well I suppose I'm because I'm not shooting so I'm not seeing necessarily groups of people and all that kind of thing and definitely the campaigns I've worked on haven't been with a huge range age range of people I'm always the oldest <laughs> to be fair um but how I'm old really, are you now um, Grace uh, I'm just heading towards 37 ish you need to stop now you're speaking to a 42 year old woman own your 37 right and over the age of 30 is tricky no this is what I feel no the best is yet to come honestly Anita how old are you now um, 35. Yeah, baby. Look at um, that collision. Yeah, exactly. I think I think it's maybe I, what I mean more is the representation of women over a certain age is yeah. seems to be gathering pace and it's not just like Saga magazine or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's it's something that has been more... I mean, Helen Mirren is all over everything and she's become this sort of like go-to for, oh, well, we'll you know, Helen will be how, do however many covers in a year or whatever and it'll be yeah. brilliant. But it's not enough, and it's it's, and I'm sure she would say the same thing. It's you know, it's kind of one palatable section of the inclusivity thing somehow. Um, and I feel like it has to, yeah, it has to all be part of the same thing, no matter how old you are. I do think the age thing has become slightly more complicated because when we were kids, over fifty was the Golden Girls. Now over fifty is J Lo up a pole. <gasps> do you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes question. I mean, goodness me. Um, also, what I would say is that in terms of the directory, um, we've obviously just started this. We are going to add more to it as we go along. Um, at the moment, we're sort of looking more at beauty and, and trying to get everyone who is sort of within that. But, you know, we will extend it out and we will keep evolving it. It's just a case of trying to get everyone from one sort of, you know, category in, in it and then we'll go to the next one and we are going to keep evolving it. So, yes, watch this space. 
Mm. Well, like I said, I think it's brilliant. I think to, I know Anita that you took a bit of a break. I think it got quite intense. And when you came back to social and you said, right, and you tagged me and you called me a beauty editor and podcaster, which is really flattering. And you called me out and various other people. I think to take a moment and use it to elevate other people as well as yourself as I well you know you're my friend but it made me very pleased to be on me so I just think it's really admirable and grace I think what you're doing as well is fantastic and it's brilliant that you two have joined forces so listeners if you have listened to this conversation you think you would either like to find out a bit more about what Grace and Anita were doing then the links to find the directory and their social media will be in the show notes or if you just want to maybe I mean you guys are open to DMs right yeah totally So if you want to just chat to them about how you can maybe apply their thinking to your own situation, which might not be the media, might not be anything to do with beauty, but um, they are awesome people who I'm sure will give you some of their time. But um, yeah, I really appreciate what you guys have done. And I really appreciate that I asked you like two hours ago (laughs) if you could speak to me today and you did. There was never going to be any other answer. It's just yeah. really kind of you to have us on. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, do you know what? I actually went to my bookcase, my colour-coded bookcase, and I got your book out, Grace. <laughs> and I looked at the inscription, because I do like an inscription. So, Anita, when you write your book, thank yeah. you very much, which we've talked about. Yes. I want an inscription, please. And, Grace, yours was because the last time you came on this podcast, you talked about writing in a, a shed and about how – it was all very Fifty Shades of Grey. And your inscription to me was, this is very nearly a sex book. <laughs> it's well, that really went off on a tangent, didn't we? I'm glad we didn't do that today. Yeah. We stayed very much on message, which is lovely. So yeah. I will be putting the links to all of your social, uh, your book, Grace, and anything that you want me to include, Anita, just, yep. just let me know. And what would be wonderful, actually, is maybe if we could revisit this conversation in a little while and you can tell me about the progress that's been made and about any feedback you've been getting and how you've been able to apply it so it can help people listening who, again, might not be in the media, but would just like to be, would just be interested to see what kind of progress can be made if you do make a stand and say, right, this is how things should be done from now on and this is who should be included and things moving forward. Amazing. (laughs) Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.